came across this modern day parable. And it says, one day a priest went to visit the Jericho Road, Jericho Road in Jerusalem, and he was, he was a very religious man. And he saw somebody who had been hurt on the, on the Jericho Road, and he was mortified by what he saw. He came and he gave that person last rites. And he quickly ran back to his parish as fast as he could, and he, he, he put together a message. And the following Sunday, he gave a sterling sermon about the Jericho Road, and he felt so much better that he was inspired and able to get this message out. And then there was a pastor who went down to the Jericho Road, and he was absolutely appalled by what he saw. It was, it was awful there. So then he came back to his church and he taught a course called The Biblical Understanding and Perspective of Poverty. They showed films and uh, people uh, of people who were being beaten up on the Jericho Road and everybody felt rotten and horrified by this. But they all felt good that they had finally done something to help the people on the Jericho Road. Another person, a revivalist, uh, he didn't go to the Jericho Road, but he saw it on TV. And then he gathered 65,000 people together in the Jerusalem Dome. And they sang songs about the Jericho Road. You should have, should have seen them uh, with their microphones and their spotlights and how they sang and they prayed so beautifully. Uh, and and, and th there was this left-wing activist and he, he went down to the Jericho Road and he was incensed by what he saw. In fact, he was angered by what he saw and he came back and he or organized demonstrations in the streets and he got all the young people out of the schools and colleges and graduate schools and they shut down the universities and they marched on the Jerusalem monument of the capital city and they were active for the people on the Jericho Road. And there was this uh, right-wing uh, person, political right, and he went down to the Jericho Road and he saw, yes, the moral decay. Uh, and he thought, we've got to solve this problem. We've got to raise employment, change the economy so there won't be so much violence on the Jericho Road. What did he do? Yes, he lessened taxes for the rich so the rich would have more money to make investments so there would be more jobs for the poor. And he increased sales tax on the poor so all the people could help pay for the cost of maintaining the Jericho Road. But while the priest and the pastor, the revivalist, the left-wing activist, and the right-wing moralist were all busy doing their part, the man on the Jericho Road died. <laughs> I was thinking about this parable, and I thought each one of these people in the story uh, had great, uh, a great heart. They had a great motivation. Some things would work better than others. Okay, uh, we know that. Uh, but each of them had great motivation. But none of those things that they did helped the man. And I began to think about this subject of love and how love covers all wrong. And I thought about the scripture that we'll read it later that says God is love. And I thought about how as much as Jesus came and, and, and died for the universal church and for the world and for all of the countries of the world and all of the societies and communities and the churches and local churches, really God died for people. He died for you and he died for me. You know, the greatest thing that God has ever done, 
I mean, he, he stopped time. Well, he created time, so it shouldn't be that much of a surprise that God could stop time. But he stopped time. He, he, he told the sea to, to, to split so his people could walk across. How many miracles? He walked on water. He's done so many things, changed water to wine. Out of all of those great things that the Lord has done, the greatest thing perhaps that he's ever done is save someone like you, someone like me. That's the love that God has for us. So I want to talk about this subject of love and how over the next few weeks and how love covers all wrongs. Today I want to talk to you about understanding love, understanding love. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 10. We're going to look at a couple of scriptures here to, to get us kicked off. And I actually have quite a few scriptures uh, this morning, but, um, you know, the word of God never returns to him void. Right. And it, it remains forever. And so I don't see anything wrong with preaching the word. I don't know about you, but I think that's a good idea. If you're going to preach, you might as well preach the word. And uh, Proverbs 10, 12, you would know it well. It says hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. How many sins are left out of all? <laughs> love covers all sins. Over in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, similarly, Peter said, And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Now, just so we understand each other, what this does not mean is that because God loves you, you can do anything you want, commit any sin that you want, <laughs> because I know God's got my back. He's going to cover it, so I can gamble, I can do it, he's going to cover my bet. He died on the cross. Just read uh, Paul over in Romans who says, God forbid, <laughs> God forbid that I should sin, amen, and test God. No, that's, that's not the point of it. It's not the point of love covers all sins, and we'll see that. But for us to understand love, we must define it. And love can be defined in this way. It can be defined as care, to have great affection or care or loyalty towards someone. That would be a definition of love. I would think that uh, when I think of love, that would be something that you could say love is. Love can be defined as, as affection, a strong, positive emotion, all right, of regard and affection. And I always say that, uh, you know, love is not emotion on its own, but we don't discount that. God created us with emotion, so it you know, must have a purpose. He created us with emotion, so that emotion does have a purpose, so we don't discount it. Uh, it, you know, it also could mean to delight, to take a high degree of pleasure or mental satisfaction in. You may love painting or you may love sports or, uh, you know, love shopping or, you know, whatever it, it may be. And so uh, you take a great deal of satisfaction in that thing or a person that you love. Every time you're around them, you just feel a certain way. And, um, you have love, and love can be defined in those ways. But what's left out of those explanations of love is that love is also, I said also, a purposeful decision to see the best in others and make them better. I said love is also a purposeful decision to see the best 
in others and to make them better. And so love becomes a decision. It's a decision. Here's what we do when we think about loving others <laughs> very often. If you, if you really think about it, now if it just is, is a thought that grazes the front of your mind, you won't really get it. But if you really think about it, a lot of times when we think about this concept of loving others, it ends up coming back to us. It ends up being about us more than the other person. When you say, I'm, I'm going to make a decision, I'm going to, I'm going to love my wife, and uh, you know, I'm going to put her above me, yeah, that, that, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah, that, that, yeah, I feel good about that. That makes me feel good. See, it, it comes back around, and, and, and we kind of somehow make it about us. <laughs> but when you really think about love, it's all about others. All, all about someone else, okay? And so understanding love, love must be discovered before it can be defined. None of us here made up love. None of us came up with the concept of loving other people. Many people who don't know the Lord would feel like, well, love is just a natural thing. It's, it's innate. It's in us to love other people. But without God, it is not in us to love other people. It is not in us to love other people. We have no idea what love is without God. It must be discovered. See, 1 John 4, 8 says, He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. The Amplified Version put it this way, The one who does not love has not become acquainted with God, does not and never did know him, for God is love. He is the originator of love, and it is an enduring attribute of his nature. God doesn't just love as an action. He is love. It is who he is. God is love. And so it would be fair to say that without God or without knowing God, there's no way to know love. We don't know it. Discovering love means to abandon what you know about love and to make a purposeful decision to live like Jesus and accept his love, guess what? By faith. To accept his love by faith. If we believe that God is love, wouldn't it stand to reason that there's no love without God? What is it that we believe love is? I mean, emotion, compassion, empathy, caring for someone else. When you define love, is that what you would think love is? I know I've said it very often. I have my own definition of what I, I, I believe love is to me, right? The giving of oneself at the expense of oneself for the benefit of another. But even that definition falls short of what God truly is. Because you see, all of these things are the result of love, but they are not love. They are not love. They're the result of what love is. If you want to rebuild a 1968 Chevy, I don't know a lot about cars, so I'm just picking something out of the air. That might not even be something you would rebuild. I don't know, but 
Just in your mind, think of whatever it is that you would want to do. So I'll just use that. You want to rebuild a 1968 Chevy, and over the next year, you find all the parts and the body that went to it, the original uh, spark plugs, and, you know, you get all your tools together, and you put a lot of uh, sweat and work and even tears sometimes into rebuilding this car, and you spend all this time, and you, you cut your hand and break your finger and drop a part on your foot and, you know, all of these things. And you go through all this stuff. And a year later, you have this thing. I mean, you waxed it. You did the whole thing. And it is a beauty. And you look at that. And someone comes in and they say, rightfully, that is all of your hard work. Honestly, that is not your hard work. That is the result of your hard work. That year you spent doing all of that, that was the hard work. The process was the hard work. What you see is the result of what happened. See, everybody who looks at that, that car that you rebuilt doesn't see your broken finger and your broken toe and all the sweat and, and frustration that you went through because you ordered a certain part and they sent you the wrong one and you said, I want a 1968 and you said, they sent you a 1964 and you said, can't you tell the difference between four and eight and you were frustrated and all of that that you went through, they don't see all of that. They see the result of it. And so likewise, when we see caring and empathy and compassion and all of those things, what we're seeing is the result of love. We're seeing, we're seeing the result of God. All of these things can be the result of love, but they are not love. If we believe that God is love, then in order to understand love, we would have to know that there is nothing that separates love from God. Nothing separates the two. Anything else will be a temporary fleeting emotion. A temporary fleeting emotion that very often would crumble under the crucible of adversity. See, if what you have crumbles under the crucible of adversity, then it's not love. Because love is purposeful. Love decides. Love doesn't come back and say, I, I, I need to rethink this. As we would say, love is. Love doesn't do that. God never, God never said, hmm, these people, you know what? They just, uh, it, it's been hundreds of years and they're still not obeying me. I'm, I'm going to re, rethink this. I don't know if I really love them as much as I thought I did. He never said that. Never. And so if you want to know what true love is, not human love, what true love is, we have to go back to God. And there's three things, very briefly, I want to share with you about God that will help us understand what love is. And we can only strive to get there. We, we can strive to get to the point uh, where we love like God loved. I love, I didn't write it down, but I love uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Read it sometime. In fact, read it in the message version because Paul goes through all of this and talks about all of these things that God is. And then at the end of that one verse, he says, love like that. Love like that. That's what he says. Love like that. We can, we can never truly understand the love that God has for us unless we understand God, unless we pursue him. Unless we make him first. Uh, 
In fact, I'm going to go there real quick. Ephesians, uh, if you have your Bible, you can go there with me. Ephesians chapter 5. But I'm going to read it out of the message version. uh, Because I think Eugene Peterson uh, brings it to light. You know, the message is a little flowery for me, if you've ever read it, so I don't study out of the message version. Uh, but, to, but to read this, it really brings it home. I don't have it up here, but just listen. Just listen to it. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 out of the message. It says, watch what God does, and then you do it. it says, like children who learn proper behavior from their parents, mostly what God does, watch this now, is love you. Keep company with him. Learn a life of love. Learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. How did he love us? He loved us when he died on the cross, but he loved us every day of his life, laying down his life every day, his wants, his needs, when he was in a human body, to pray for people, to heal people, to listen, to speak, Observe how Christ loved us. His love, here we go, was not cautious, but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. Love like that. Love like that. That's easy to say, but I want you to think about that for a moment. He didn't love in order to get something from us but to give everything of himself to us. Everything of himself to us. Love like that. And when I think about this, love becomes so much more than a catchphrase, than a cliche, I love you. Love, I love, I love. So much more when I think about God's love. And so the first thing God did to help us understand love is as I said, God decided. Number one, God decided to love. You know, like a mother with a newborn baby. A mother with a newborn baby, the baby is born, and before that child gets a chance to do anything to make the mother love it, the mother already has decided that she loves that baby. Come on, mothers. We know that, don't we? All of us do. Dads, we would know as well. But I just, there's something about that bond, right, when a, a baby is born and given to the mother, you know. And uh, I, I, rem- I remember that. I remember when uh, my youngest was born. And I, I don't know whether it was I knew she would be the last one or what it was, but there was an incredible uh, emotional um, I don't, emotion that just came over me. And uh, she, before she got a chance to do anything but cry, (laughs) I just knew I loved her like I I do all my children. I just knew I did. And so God made that decision. He made that decision. John 15, 15 says, no longer do I call you servants. This is Jesus speaking. He is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Uh, No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all things that I heard from my father, I have made known to you. Watch this. You did not choose me. You didn't choose me. I know we sing, I have decided to follow Jesus. Yes, we made a decision. But he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. And I don't want to leave out this part. 
that whatever you ask, whatever, whatever, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you that you love one another. Do you understand? And I know, I know this is not necessarily a message about faith this morning, but really anytime you preach the word, uh, the word is faith. And so do you understand that before you had a chance to say, Lord, I love you, or wow, you died on the cross for me, or I needed a, before you had a chance to do any of that, he said, I chose you, and I made it so that whatever you ask the Father in mind, before you had a chance, he didn't wait to see if you would be on his side. He didn't wait to see if you were going to be nice to him or smile at him. He didn't wait for any of that. He just chose you, and he said, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. And I command that you love one another. Whew, now that is love. That's love. That's incomprehensible love. Our love for God is simply a response to his love for us. You know, when we come and, and we worship the Lord, you're in a church service, much like we were this morning, or uh, you're listening to your music, um, and, and you're worshiping the Lord, and, and maybe you got up that morning and you said, you know what, I'm making a decision. I, I am going to worship God today, no matter what. I don't care what comes my way today. I am deciding right now. I'm making a decision that I am going to worship the Lord. Really, what you're doing is you're responding to God already wooing you to him. You just didn't realize it. You weren't hearing it, but he was already, before you even realized it, he was already calling you. He was already wooing you. He was already doing the work, and you just heard it somehow in your spirit and decided to respond. You know, we used to sing a song as children. And I, and, I, and I don't know why we don't sing it as much anymore. Maybe we think it's a, a child song, but I think it's the best song uh, that's ever been written. <laughs> oh, how I love Jesus because he first loved me. Do you realize that that's just not something that someone came up with because they were emotional? That's scripture. 1 John 4.19 says we love him because... He first loved us. The Living Bible puts it this way. Our love for him comes as a result of him loving us first. He already decided to love us. By the way, I hope that helps somebody who feels condemned, who feels guilty, who feels like, you know, you don't know what I've thought or what I've done or how I've fallen short or how I've failed. You don't understand that God could never love me. God already loved you. He knew what you were going to do. He already knew the failure before you realized you could fail. You didn't even know it was possible to fail. And God decided to love you. Come on. This is the love that the Father has for us. You didn't even realize it. And because of his decision, nothing can take that love away. Not even you and I. Nothing can remove God. We can walk out of his presence, but it won't make him stop loving us. Because if he stopped loving us, we could never come back. Why do you think Jesus gave us the parable of the prodigal son? Because the love of the father is always there, even when you turn your back on him. Now, you can walk away. It's up to you. Now, that's a decision that you can make. But he's always there at the roadside waiting, waiting and saying, just come back. Come to yourself and come back. That's the love that I have for you. 
Romans 8, 39, you would know it. You would know it well, for I am persuaded, Paul said, that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities or power nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing, nothing, nothing can separate you from God's love. But your enemy will tell you, your enemy will tell you that God doesn't love you. Your enemy will tell you, you know, that, that little lie that you told or that thing that you did or the attitude that you had toward that person or how you didn't come through when you said you would or when you broke your promise. Or He'll tell you that because of any of those things, God is mad at you and God doesn't love you anymore. But see, God, the Holy Spirit convicts us because he loves us. He convicts us. He even scolds us because he loves us. It, it's, the, it's the motivation. We must start with why. Anytime you're convicted by the Holy Spirit, it's because God loves you. And he wants you to be in the fold. He wants you to be part of the kingdom. It's not because he doesn't like you or he's just mad at you or you offended him in some way. He already knew what you were going to do. How can you offend someone when they already know what you're going to do and they still decide to love you? He already knew it. And so when he convicts you, it's for you, not for him. You're not making him feel better. It's for you to realize the love that he has for you. And so the first thing is God decided, he made a decision to love us before he created you. A lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. He knew, he knew. And I know that kind of blows your mind, so we won't get into that. He knew, he already knew that you would sin and we would fall short. And he already made provision. He already said the cross is coming before he created the world. He already said the cross is coming so we would be reconciled. That's the love he has for you. The second thing is God spoke his love. Oh yeah, he audibly spoke his love. Uh, both as the Father in the Old Testament, as Jesus, God incarnate in the New Testament. He spoke his love. God left an example for us on how to express our love by speaking it out of our mouth or confessing it out of our mouth. Come on, because that's what he did. This is how important your confession is. John 15, 9, Jesus said, as the Father loved me, I have also loved you. Loved you. Abide in my love. Jeremiah 31 3 Jeremiah 31 3 watch this the Lord has appeared of old to me Jeremiah the prophet is saying Lord has appeared 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 to me saying yes I have loved you with an everlasting love therefore with loving kindness I have drawn you I have loved you with an everlasting love. Nothing can separate it. His love is set upon you. His love is upon you. Malachi 1-2, he said, I have loved you. I have loved you, says the Lord. And in Hebrews 13:5, the Bible says, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself said, 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 I will never leave you nor forsake you. God spoke his love out of his mouth. And so God made a decision to love us. God spoke, spoke his love to us. And lastly, God demonstrates his love. We're trying to, we're trying to understand love trying to understand what love is. 
God demonstrates his love. Not only does God tell us that he loves us, but he shows us in so many ways. So many ways. Many of you would know Romans 5.8. It says, but God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't call a meeting like this and say, okay, I just want to show a hands. Uh, if I do this thing on the cross, I just need a majority, you know, like in the Senate or in the House. I need a majority. How many people uh, would serve me if I died on the cross? Okay, I mean, let's see. And if I get more than, if I get 51%, then I'm going to do it. No, he didn't, he didn't wait for any of that. He says, while we were still sinners, you know what that means to me? While we were still sinning, while you were committing, while you was lying, he was dying on the cross. While you were stealing, while you were breaking your promise, he was dying on the cross for the remission of that sin. And here's, here's what blows my mind. And I know, listen, I got to be like Peter. It, it, nothing wrong with repeating it. All right. I, I've, I've said it a lot of times. But what blows my mind about the whole thing is that when Jesus died on the cross, it wasn't like, okay, everybody up to this point. All right. I'm going to take care of with the cross. All right. Now, after this, you just got to realize that, you know, you're, you're on your own because I've done the cross. Now the cross, you know, is that year zero or year 30, whatever it was. And so now after this, all right, no more sinning. Because I've done the cross. I've taken care of it. No. He died on the cross in year 30, whatever the year was, for people who hadn't even been born yet and the sins that they would commit. He died on the cross for past sins. He died on the cross for all the sins that people had committed as his contemporary. He died on the cross for sins that people didn't even know they were going to commit. He already took care of it. That's, that blows my mind. Before I sin, God already took care of it. See, that doesn't make me want to go out and sin and say, oh, well, you know what? Guess what? God already took care of it so I can just go sin. It doesn't make me want to do that. It makes me want to get on my knees and weep and say, Lord, the love that you have for me, you knew I would fall short and you already died for me. Died for every last one of those sins. He demonstrates his love in so many ways. First John 3 1 in the NLV, New Living Version, says this See what great love the Father has for us, that he would call us his children. And that is what we are. For this reason, the people of the world do not know who we are because they didn't know him. Don't get upset if people don't understand your worship and how thankful you are because they don't know him, they don't understand it. But if they would get the revelation of the Messiah, they would understand it. 1 John 4, 9 and 10, also in the New Living Version, says God has shown his love to us by sending his only son into the world. God did this so we might have life through Christ. This is love. It is not that we love God, but that he loved us. For God sent his son to pay for our sins with his own blood. With his own blood. And then we would all know John 3.16. Most of us, even if you're not a Christian or a church person, you've seen it at football games. John 3.16, come on. For God so loved the world that he gave, 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 gave. Not out of obligation, but he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes on him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. 
See, it's impossible to fully understand God's love for us. No matter how many sermons, how many messages you hear on it, the only way to begin to understand the love of God so that you may show that same love to others is to experience it. It's the only way to understand the love of God is to experience it. My hope for you comes from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. Like Paul said to the church at Ephesus, it's my hope, it's Christ's hope for you. My hope for you is that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend, <laughs> come on, with all the saints, what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That is my hope for you. Then we can begin to understand why we need to speak things, the authority that we have on this earth because of our relationship with him and the love that he has for us. There's only one way to be, be able to comprehend the love of God, and that is to experience it. Amen.